Welcome to the Real Life Weight Loss Podcast, where we cut through the confusion and get down to the truth about what really works for real people when it comes to losing weight, having incredible health, and a body that you love. We believe that losing weight is really about gaining life, doing things you never thought you could, having renewed confidence, and enjoying your body more than ever. I'm your host, Corey Little. Now let's get to it. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. Today we're talking about a topic or a concept, if you will, that is near and dear to my heart. It's the type of thing that I absolutely love talking about and teaching, and it is also the type of thing that I believe can have a tremendous, absolutely life-changing impact for you on your life, (laughs) on your life, on your body. And it's something that I also can pretty much guarantee that If you listen to this episode, if you pay attention, you will be able to say, wow, that is totally me. Like, I totally do that. Or, wow, I never realized that, but it's so true. Or, at the very least, you'll be able to go, oh my gosh, that is so true with my friend, whoever, Steve, John, Bob, Lisa. (laughs) Or, that is so true with my sister or my brother-in-law or my brother, whatever. You're going to see this in yourself or in someone you know and love. And that's how it all started for me, actually. I, I, I like to think that seeing it in others is kind of the first step because it's so much easier for us to see things in other people than in ourselves, right? Like self-honesty can be tough sometimes. It, it's tough to see what we can't see. And sometimes those things are within ourselves. So the first stage is kind of seeing it in other people. And then we begin to realize, wait a minute, this applies to me too. And that's how it all started for me. Like I have a dear, dear friend, one of my best friends in the whole world, And my wife and I always joke, I always say to her, like, he's not happy unless he's miserable. When life is calm and he should be happy and at peace and just enjoying life, he's unsettled and he'll find something to be miserable about. He's not happy unless he's miserable. And when he's miserable, when there are things to be upset or disgruntled or stressed about, it's like he's more at peace. It's like, okay, I'm I'm back to normal now. But it's not only him. I I notice it with other people. There's another lady that I know, and she happens to be going through a really stressful time in life right now. And my wife and I were having a conversation about her and talking about, you know, hey, we've got to remember her in our prayers. This is really tough. And I said, you know, what will be really interesting to see is, like, once all of this is over, is she able to kind of relax a little and enjoy life some more? Or... Will she just find something else to fill that stress slot? Something else to shove into that stress slot of her life once this stressor is gone? That will be really interesting to see. And both of these things, my buddy who's not happy unless he's miserable, and then this lady who's going through a stressful period, but then what will it be like once she's out of the stressful period? All of this is a perfect example of what I call our emotional home. But we first must answer the question, what exactly is an emotional home? Well, it is, simply put, your default emotional state. It's the emotional state, not that you desire or want to have. That's so important. Don't miss that. It's not the emotional state that you desire or you want to have. It's the emotional state that you feel most comfortable with. This is so important to understand. It's not what you want. It's what you are most familiar with and have probably experienced the most in your life. Psychology tells us that 
um, it often can develop based off of the household that we were raised in. So if you were, for example, in a happy and low stress household growing up, then that's probably your familiar, you know, comfy emotional space. And you're just kind of happy and low stress. <laughs> and maybe you don't know why. Maybe other people don't know why. But that's just who you are, right? Yeah, it's just happy-go-lucky. That's just who they are. That's the way it is. But on the other hand, if your childhood home was maybe kind of chaotic and hectic and constantly full of stress, then that's probably your emotional home. And here's the kicker. Here's the crazy part about this. You will do things mentally or actually like physical things in the real world to produce that same familiar, chaotic, stressful situation for yourself. Even if life, even if there's nothing in life that should be chaotic or stressful, you will cause it. You will do things to manufacture it. That's crazy, huh? So it's like, here's the bottom line of all of this. And we're going get, to get deeper into this because I think there's so much that we can take away and that we can learn and that can really help us with our lives. But here's the bottom line of all of this. You're not just having the same feelings and emotions every day. You're choosing and creating the same ones every day because it's your emotional home. Even like, here's the thing, even if you're, Feelings and emotions don't serve you, even if they're not what you want, as we clearly already stated, you will find a way to get them every day. Why? Because they're familiar and they're habitual (laughs) and we crave familiarity and we run off of habits. And when those things are gone, (gasps) we freak out. Even if the familiar stuff and even if the habitual stuff in our life is not really what we want deep down. Even if it's chaotic and stressful and crazy and worrisome and makes us anxious, well, it's familiar and it feels like home. Simply the realization of this, like the awareness, ah, there's that big word I use all the time. The awareness of this is so big. But here's the thing, your brain is tricky and it may very well convince you Man, it's not just you intentionally choosing these emotions and circumstances. It's just your life, and it's just the way it is. And yes, life can be tough and truly stressful at times. But again and again, I see chronically stressed people, people whose emotional home is negative. I see these people roll out of one stressful situation, bloop, right into another one. And if there seems to be a break or there could be a break from all the craziness and the stress, they will not allow it. They will find something else to fill that slot, what I call the stress slot. Now, I know we said that your emotional home can come from your childhood home and your upbringing, but like, I I really want to ask the question, is that all? Like, is it just set and you're doomed for the rest of your life? Or if you're the happy-go-lucky person, you're just blessed for the rest of your life? Like, is that all it is? Now, I'm I'm no psychologist, but I don't think so. I also believe that like, regardless of what type of home we're raised in, I think that we can kind of inadvertently choose and construct our own emotional home later in life. Maybe it's while we're in college or sometime in our early 20s or 30s. You know, life got stressful for whatever reason. And before we know it, life is always stressful and always overwhelming. And and it's like we just can't escape that mental state. When in reality, maybe we've had multiple opportunities, multiple chances to have a calm, joyous, low-stress life at times, but we just, whoo, we fly right by those on our way to the next thing. 
our stress slot is empty and it just feels weird. So we quickly find something to fill that slot. We didn't necessarily learn it as a child. We just inadvertently developed the habit as an adult of being stressed and worried and anxious and overwhelmed. It became who we are and it became our emotional home. And therefore, it's what we do and it's what we crave. So let's dig a little deeper here and let's see if we can find a way out of this. Let's see if we can find a way to possibly begin building a new emotional home. Because here's the thing. If I'm right, and maybe it's not just from our childhood, or even if it is from our childhood, but if I'm right and we can actually choose and begin to build and construct our own emotional home later in life, then there's hope. And I like hope. <laughs> so so I'm choosing to believe there's hope. And I believe it all starts with digging down to the foundation of our current stressed out emotional home. Now, this may not be true for everyone, but often, so often, what we'll find if we dig down through the muck and all the mud and we peel the layers back, what we'll find at the foundation of our stressed out emotional home is fear. Deep down, we're scared of what will happen. We're scared of what will happen in life, period, and especially what will happen if we, if we let our guard down and we're no longer stressed or on high alert. It's like somehow our brain got wired to this idea that we must constantly be on. We must be on high alert, stressed, anxious, and ready, ready to, ready to pounce, you know? It's like we have to be on alert. We're like a soldier in war who, who's got the night shift, you know? You stand guard and watch out for the enemy. Which leads to our desire to control. We, we have to control the situation. I have to be on high alert. Don't rest. Don't fall asleep. Because if you do, something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> we think that feeling good, that allowing ourselves to feel good, will actually sabotage us. The soldier who's on the night duty, he thinks, he knows, hey, if I allow, I so want to go to sleep. That would be so amazing. It would feel so good to doze off. But if I allow that, then something bad is going to happen. That will sabotage me and my people and my family and my troops. I can't do it. I can't allow myself to feel good. I can't allow myself, if you're the soldier, to go to sleep. Veteran pilot and psychologist Tom Bunn, he says this, people with a fear of flying have this belief that it takes their full attention, energy, and effort to keep the plane in the air. And if they relax, if they stop worrying or stop constantly thinking about the plane and stressing about the flight, then they're doomed. It's not, it's not that like the pilot and the laws of physics are not keeping the plane in the air. Uh-uh, not for that person. They are keeping the plane in the air with their mental efforts and their stress. And my friends... I believe this is exactly what we do. We slip into this unhealthy emotional rhythm where we do the exact same thing with our day-to-day -day life. It's like, even though we don't say it intentionally, if I quit worrying, if I quit constantly stressing and fretting and always looking for the negative, if I quit always looking for that could happen stuff, then it's all just going to fall apart. We're trapped in a prehistoric mind. <laughs> like, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. And it is responsible for, oh crap, 
A bear is chasing me. Oh, crap, there's a tiger behind that tree. I'm about to die. Flood my body with stress hormones. Make my vision sharper than it's ever been. Make me stronger than I've ever been. Make me able to run faster than I've ever been. Make my heart speed up and pound just incredibly hard so that I can escape. Now, that was helpful if you're running from a tiger or a bear. <laughs> it's helpful helpful if you're fighting for your life. But that's not the world we live in. But somehow, we're trapped in that mindset. And our amygdala, that little part of our brain that's responsible for all of that, is just working overtime. In his book, The Big Leap, Stanford professor and psychologist Gay Hendricks explains all of this, but he, he uses a slightly different approach and is pretty brilliant, if you ask me. Imagine that, coming from a Stanford professor and psychologist. <laughs> he explains in his book what he calls the upper limit problem. He says, I have a limited tolerance for feeling good. When I hit my upper limit, I manufacture thoughts that make me feel bad. The problem is bigger than just my internal feelings, though. I seem to have a limited tolerance for life going well in general. When I hit my upper limit, I do something that stops my positive forward trajectory. I get into conflict with my ex-wife. I get into a money bind or do something else that brings me back down within the bounds of my limited tolerance. If this isn't self-sabotage, guys, <laughs> I don't know what is. And I see it with so many of my clients and coaching group. Like, since we put such emphasis on awareness, often the person like that I'm coaching, they can spot it, but they feel powerless to stop it. They're like, I've been doing so great, and it's not like this program or what you're having me do is super hard. Like, I've lost weight. I feel good, but I'm just totally sabotaging myself right now, and I don't know why. With weight loss, it, there's even an extra layer to all of this. So you don't just have an emotional home that you're comfortable with. You also have a certain body that you're used to walking around in. Now, here's the thing. You've got to remember, it doesn't matter, like I said earlier, what you want. It's all about what you've experienced most in your life. It's all about the patterns you've established for yourself. Ultimately, it's all about what you're most comfortable with. And for a lot of people, the comfort zones are this. Number one, you're overweight to some degree, using food as a short-term comfort, almost like medicine, because... The other comfort zone, number two, is that your emotional home is stressed, overwhelmed, worried, and way too busy. So you're stressed, overwhelmed, and worried, and way too busy. Therefore, you're using food as a short-term comfort, and therefore you're overweight. And then you begin to be stressed about overweight. Like, look, look, my friends, Like, are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> Can you see the situation that we've created for ourselves? Let me explain it again, just in case you missed it. Our default, our go-to, our comfort zone is to be stressed. Therefore, we eat when we're stressed and to try to temporarily soothe our emotions. And then we stress about indulging in those foods because we're already overweight. And then we stress about being overweight in addition to all of the other stuff in life that is stressing us. Needing to lose weight just adds to the overwhelm and negativity. And before we know it, we just feel like we're drowning, don't we? It's like we're trying to take care of everyone and everything else. And we probably feel like we're failing most of the time. And we're also failing with our own health. We're trying so hard and we're so freaking stressed and it's all just so hard because we're failing at everything and it's killing us. So what do we do? 
We attempt to escape by eating some food that will temporarily comfort us. And the cycle rolls on. And then whenever life does actually calm down and there's a crack of daylight and we have the ability, we have the space to feel more at peace and less stressed and not worried, what do we do? We're like a vending machine. Guys with a vending machine, you you get your drink or your snack and another one just falls right into its place. Like vending machines shouldn't be empty. (laughs) They're never empty. There's always just a stack of things, right? And you get one and another one falls in its place. That's how we are. We just find the next thing to fill our stress slot. And if there's nothing on hand, then we manufacture it, as Gay Hendricks says. We manufacture thoughts to make us feel bad. And this, my friends, is why you'll hear me say again and again and again and again until you're probably sick of it. To change your body, you must first change your brain. To change anything in your life, you must first address and change your mental state in your brain because... The key to your life, your enjoyment of life, and your body is your emotions. And your emotions are all a product of your thoughts and your beliefs and everything else bouncing around in your head. And guess what? You can choose those. Now, to someone who's untrained in that idea, that they're, you know, they're unfamiliar with the idea of, wait a minute, choosing my emotions, choosing my thoughts, what is this? How did, I don't know. That doesn't seem to make sense. For someone who's unfamiliar and they're untrained, you know, thoughts and beliefs and emotions, they may seem automatic. They may seem like they just happen, but that's just not the case. You'll soon realize they're not. They don't just happen. They're not just automatic. Because here's the thing, my friends, at the root of our fear, remember we said fear is at the foundation of our emotional home. At the root of our fear is a lack of control. So, of course, what do we do? We try to control as many things as we can and as much as we can. And I totally get it. I've been there and I'm there in some ways right now. I'm not trying to tell you I'm like existing on a whole different plane and none of this applies to me. How do you think I I know about this stuff and can teach it? Because it's me too. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. But here's the crazy part. Most of that control is just an illusion. (laughs) We don't have control over nearly as much stuff as we think. But, mm, don't miss this. Here's the thing. You know what you do have control of? Your own brain, your mental space, your thoughts, which lead to your emotions, and your emotions are your life. Okay, great, Corey. <laughs> I, I know where you guys may, may be right here. Great. That's that's good, man. You know that sounds good, and it all makes sense. And man, I, like you said, I can see some friends who are that way. I can see, I can start to see this in myself. I appreciate it. But dude, like, what do we do? How am I supposed to change my brain and change my emotional home? I mean, what is the solution? So I'm going to give you guys three very concise, practical steps here, and then I'm going to give you a big dose of honesty. Okay, here we go. Step number one. What is so important, in my opinion, is that you first identify your emotional home. Like, look at your life overall. Look at not just right now, but look at the previous few months and the upcoming few months. What is your tendency? Do you tend to see the positive? Do you you tend to lean toward optimism and hope and happiness? Or do you tend to maybe see the negative and worry and lean toward 
pessimism and all the things that could happen and all the things that the negative things that in your brain you think will happen. It might help to have one or two other people give you some input on this. But step number one is to get really self-honest and to do your best to identify and maybe even like outline and write down your emotional home. Maybe you can trace it back to your childhood. Man, no wonder I'm always so stressed. My mom and dad were always fighting and fussing and uh, I heard them talking about how we don't have enough money and how we may lose our home or how we don't have enough food for next week or, you know, like I was always moved from one school to the next to the next and I was always stressed and worried. Would I be accepted? Would I have friends? And so, yeah, maybe you can trace it back to that. Maybe not. Maybe it's something in your 20s or 30s. Maybe you went through a really tough time and maybe going through that really tough time was incredibly challenging, but maybe that brought people around you and it got you attention and it got you love from others. And so you don't realize it, but you've hardwired it into your brain that, Hey, that's who I need to be. If I want to have people around, if I want to have support from others, maybe it's something totally different. I don't know. But number one, identify your emotional home. Number two, begin to practice (laughs) that big word that I always use, awareness, awareness, awareness. It's not that big of a word, but it's a really huge concept. Practice awareness and start noticing the things that you do and the thoughts that you create, the thoughts that you manufacture that keep you there. You can't figure out what's keeping you at your emotional home if you don't even know what your emotional home is. So number one, identify your emotional home. Number two, just begin to kind of like think about what you're thinking. I know that sounds bizarre, but like think about what you're thinking. Don't let your thoughts and emotions just fly through your head at Mach 5. Slow it down a little bit. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What thought did I just have? Why am I feeling this way? Let me let me kind of try to sort through this. Maybe even take some notes there. That's step number two. Awareness of the things that you do and the thoughts that you create that keep you at your emotional home. And then step number three, begin chipping away at them. Look, I know we all want to just like take a bulldozer, like, you know, plow over our old, old emotional home and then have a new emotional home tomorrow. That's not the way it works. We're out there with like hammers and axes and we have to chip away and chop and work and just keep chipping and chipping away at these things. And it's as simple as just starting to question. That's how you shake the foundation of anything by questioning it. Okay, you know what? I noticed I just had this thought. And of course, it's going to lead me to be stressed. But do I have to have that thought? Is that even a likely outcome? Wait a minute. Is this something in my life that, is this something that even should be in my life? Like I'm so worried about this for my mom or for my dad or for my sister-in-law or for my brother. But wait a minute. They're an adult. They have their own life. It's not my responsibility to take care of them. So why am I bringing this on to me? Hmm. Those are the questions we maybe should be asking. That's how you begin to chip away at your emotional home. That's how you begin to see that there are other thoughts you can choose and there are other emotions you can choose. So number one, identify your emotional home. Number two, begin practicing awareness and noticing the things that you're doing and the thoughts that you're creating that keep you there. And number three, begin chipping away at them by asking questions. Once you notice them, you can start to question them. Now here's the thing. Here's the big dose of honesty I promised. It can be pretty tough to do this all by yourself. It's kind of like trying to fix your hair or put on makeup without a mirror. <laughs> like you're in some ways you're blind. Typically we need for this sort of a process, we need someone else's input 
someone that you can trust, someone that can see things that you can't easily see. And we need support from another person or a group of people. So here's the thing. If this episode really connected with you and you're determined, you're like, yes, oh my gosh, this is me and this is holding me back and I'm so sick and tired of being stressed and overwhelmed and feeling like I'm drowning all the time. If this is you and you're determined to become more aware of and to change your emotional home, then I would like to make two recommendations. Number one, maybe find a great counselor or therapist. Guys, this can be some of the most incredible life-changing work that you'll ever do. And then don't just like go see them once or twice and be like, oh, that's good. I, you know, oh my gosh, you know, they were terrible. I didn't like them or oh my gosh, they were wonderful and it was good, but I'm fixed now. I'm good after, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Remember the whole chipping away thing? <laughs> Commit to seeing this wonderful counselor or therapist, not once or twice, but consistently for weeks and weeks or maybe even months so that they can help you see the things that you can't see and they can help to provide other perspectives to help you question those thoughts, to help you question those actions and to help you begin to change your emotional home. So that's my number one recommendation great counselor or a great therapist. And then number two, my second recommendation, if you're specifically interested in how all of this relates to and impacts you when it comes to weight loss, like your emotional home and your physical home that I talked about earlier with weight loss, then a great step would be to join my inner circle. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, but I've been coaching people in this realm for a long, long time. <laughs> and I can very clearly see how someone's emotional home impacts their ability to take the steps and take action to lose weight and how it can how it can rear its ugly head when self-sabotage starts. And if you're interested in joining my inner circle, just shoot an email to support at CoreyLittleCoaching.com and just say, hey, tell me more about the inner circle. Like I, you know, I, I want to know some more about that because my emotional home, man, I've got to do some work there. Guys, look, I'm not trying to get you to join my inner circle. You know what I'm trying to get you to do? Build a new emotional home. I'm trying to get you to enjoy your life more. That's what I want for you. And it can be done in a number of different ways. But I highly recommend a counselor or therapist, or if you're interested in this with weight loss, joining the inner circle. Okay, friends, let's wrap it up like we always do. Remember, regardless of your emotional home, one thing that you can take control of and you can change is how you view the scales because you are so much more than a number. So don't let that little machine dictate your emotions or dominate your headspace. Maybe instead of stepping on the scale, step away from the scales for a little while and you will experience a freedom and an enjoyment of life that oh, maybe you never knew existed. That's one of the biggest things we see when people join the inner circle. It's like, my goodness, I only weigh like once every three or four weeks and it has been the best decision ever. So you can do that too. And not only that, but losing weight, my friends, it's great. I love helping people do it. It's wonderful. But losing weight is really about gaining life. Gaining life and living the life and enjoying your life more than ever. Living the life you've always wanted to. And you can do it. I know you can. I believe in you. Even if you don't believe in yourself, that's okay. You keep coming back. I'll keep working on you. We will get you there, my friend. Take care of yourself. God bless. Bye-bye.